right, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Last week, the works of the flesh, and this week, the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you remember this passage. Uh, many of you may have rem- memorized it in some vacation Bible school or Sunday school class when you were growing up, and uh, maybe it's very common for some of you, uh, but it should be uh, very much evident in your life as a Christian. And so Galatians 5:22, "The fruit of the spirit is." And he gives us nine things. We'll group those into three uh, later on in the sermon. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against that list of nine fruits there, there's no law, none. You're free to do those as much as you would like to do. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ, Christ Jesus, you'll notice in verse 24, the subject is those and the action is have crucified. So those who belong to Jesus Christ, they've done something. They have crucified the flesh. What did they crucify about their flesh? Well, it's passions and desires. So that's our text tonight. In an introductory form, I'm going to shorten this somewhat tonight, but the practical reality of the Christian who is saved by grace and lives by grace, that's what we've been learning in Galatians, it's seen in the natural, ordinary production of fruit. It just naturally happens to the converted person. It happens naturally, Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells within them. And so these things just begin to be produced. Now, on the other hand, we've already seen, the fruit of unbelief is revealed in works of the flesh. But the fruit of faith is revealed in the fruit of the Spirit. You might not catch that phrase, but works of the flesh are what you do, what people do. Fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit does in you. You see the difference? This is my effort without the Spirit, works of the flesh. This fruit that's produced by the Spirit, all glory to the one who enables that fruit to be produced through me. In other words, we can put it this way. You cannot produce these nine fruits on a consistent basis without the Spirit of God. It can't be done. It reminds you just of a variety of texts. You'll be familiar with these, but let me just read them to set the scene. Jesus says it clearly. I don't know why we make it so complicated, but Jesus is very clear. I think it's not a matter of understanding. It's just a matter of whether or not we want to listen. Every healthy tree bears good fruit. The diseased tree, well, it bears bad fruit. You see, a healthy tree 
cannot have this continual bearing of bad fruit. It can't do it. Nor can a diseased tree continually bear good fruit. Every tree, this is Jesus' words, it's not mine. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down, now it's dead, it's thrown in the fire, and it's burned up. Matthew 7, 17 through 19. He goes on in Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You don't know my heart. The tree is known by the fruit. You can't judge me. The tree is known by the fruit. What's being produced? And then in Matthew 13, 23, talking about the sowing of the seed. As for what was sown on good soil, what does that look like? It's the one who hears the word and they understand the word. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in, in one case, a hundredfold, in another case, sixtyfold, in another case, thirtyfold. He said, well, so-and-so produces a lot of fruit, and they just produce a little fruit. This, the equation here is Christians bear fruit to some degree on a regular basis. Why? Not because of them per se, but because the Spirit of God lives in them. There's something internal that's causing the leaf to come out and push away the dead leaves. The Spirit is doing that. And if that's not happening, then the deeper issue is a lack of the Spirit. And if there is no Spirit, there is no conversion. Verse 22a, the first part, it's a very, very short point, but in 22a, you see the text there, but the fruit of the Spirit is. So you have works of the flesh, they're plural, the works are plural, this is what they are. The fruit is singular, the fruit is. It's like these nine things are the fruit. They're described differently and we look at them differently, but this is all one fruit that the Spirit produces, these nine things, if you will. So if you want some kind of a contrast, it's like this, this, uh, this illustration breaks down. If you want to analyze it and beat it up, it won't work. But just go with the flow of it. I can go out and plant a tree, and that takes work. Got to have a shovel, got to dig a hole, got to pick the tree up, got to put the tree in the hole, got to put the dirt back around it, got to water the tree. That takes a lot of work. But the fruit that's produced from a tree, that comes naturally from the tree itself that it is what its DNA, if you will, what it's made up of, I can't make a tree produce fruit. But if it's an apple tree, it will naturally of itself grow pineapples. No, you know it won't. It's going to grow apples. It's never going to produce an orange. Why? It's an apple tree. Christians produce this type of fruit naturally. In a sense, we put forth effort in things but when we analyze it out, even though I put forth effort, there's one behind me strengthening and enabling me to produce these fruits. And so that's where the strength comes from. All right. Now we move. That's, that's the present case. Now we move to the produce, which is 522B through 23. There are nine, and we will just put these in three easy categories, and I will not belabor the words that I could keep you here all night on. 
But three fruits, so you might want to write this down, it's helpful. Three fruits of the, the Spirit produces, three fruits the Spirit produces in relation to God. So here's three fruits in relation to God. Love, joy, and peace. All of these are in our vertical relationship with the Lord. Understand love is to be done horizontally, but you cannot do it unless you have love vertically right. Now, love, I think Paul intentionally puts at the top of the list as the chief fruit of Christianity. The greatest thing you're going to see as a Christian when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ is this is the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to love God like you've never loved him before. And as a result of this love that you didn't have, that you now have, it's going to spill out in a love for people of which you didn't have before. You're like, I don't even know what's going on with me and why do I care about these people? This is a natural production of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Paul uses it in other verses and he talks about in Romans 15.30, he talks about the love of the Spirit. Colossians 1.8, he talks about the love of the Spirit. It's like the DNA of the Holy Spirit of God to cause people to love God and then that to flow out in the love of men and women in the church, if you will. Selfless, sacrificial, servant-minded love is the fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit. Then you have the word joy. You do a whole sermon on this word joy. It's a very short and easy definition, if you will. It's the experience of gladness. It's like, I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with joy that I've been saved. Every time we do communion, even though I met, had a rough afternoon with a lot of different things, in my heart I have joy because Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed and I am forgiven and when I die, I'm going to heaven. And I'm quite glad about that. It's tired in this world of sin and seeing what people do. And it's just something in my heart, it's joy that one day I'm going to go home. The Spirit produces that. You can't manufacture it. You can't do it with smoke and mirrors and lights and goofy music that gives you goosebumps. The Spirit of God gives joy in the midst of a fallen world. It's relationship with God. Contentment, satisfaction, pleasure, hope in Jesus is the joy the Spirit produces. Peace is the third one. A state of concord. Harmony. Now in Timothy 2.22, Hebrews 12.14, he tells us to strive for, strive for peace. In 1 Peter 3.11, he tells us to seek peace. And so you get the implication, we have a responsibility in this issue of peace. But the effort for peace, although it's real, the effort to strive for it is real. The strength to strive comes from the Spirit of the living God. Peace with God, peace with death, peace with life, peace with brothers and sisters, peace with the future, all of these things is what the Spirit produces in the life of the Christian. There's three. The second three, the fruits of the Spirit, these are the fruits, three fruits of the Spirit he produces towards others. Towards others. So we had God. Now, what does the Spirit produce in us relationally, horizontally? We have three patience, 
kindness, and goodness. Patience, kindness, and goodness. These all have to do with human relationships. Being able to bear up under provocation. Patience. Being able to be patient towards others. The indwelling spirit enables us to be patient with our spouse, with our offspring, brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, be honest. If it were not for the Spirit of God, there's some people I'd have told to hit the road a long time ago. I'm done messing with you. I've had it. We're through here. My, my patience would never hold out. But then you see a real sense in which there's people with even in this church that we've labored together 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You say, how do you keep doing this? The Spirit of God gives us patience with one another. Everybody in the room does dumb things. We all sin. We all mess up. And through that, somehow we forgive, we work, we labor, and we endure because the Spirit of God enables us to have patience. And then you have the word kindness, goodness, or honesty. The quality of being helpful, beneficial, generous. This <laughs> is the Spirit produces within us. Here's a good word. Sometimes I'm not good at this. But the Spirit produces sympathy, service, initiative to help those with need, verbal encouragement. These are the things the Spirit does in us to help us be a blessing to others. It's a fruit to serve and to do this in the life of other people. And then the word goodness, a positive moral quality characterized especially by interest in the welfare of others. Goodness looks like this. I really, truly care what happens in your life. It really, really breaks my heart when people walk away and apostatize because I want what's good for them and I weep at night to see them self-destruct. That's The Spirit produces this goodness that cares about the life of others. Their souls matter. This goodness and concern for other people is a fruit of the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul said... Romans 15, 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You see, there he is rejoicing in a group that is full of this goodness. And then also 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good. I want God to do everything he can possibly do for your good. The Spirit causes you to want that. I want everybody to succeed. The Spirit produces biblical morality, God-pleasing actions, the valuing of humanity as created in the image of God. These are the things the Spirit of God produces. The last three, three fruits of the Spirit produces towards the life of the believer. So we did God, we did others, and now in the life of the believer, three more fruits that are produced. You get faithfulness, you get gentleness, and you get self-control. 
Now, the word faithfulness, it gets translated faithfulness, faith, faithfulness, value, proof, that which evokes trust. Let me give it to you this way. God's work, every one of His works, is faithful. Right? All of God's works are faithful. The Bible says in Psalms 33, 4, all His work is done in faithfulness. God's always faithful to His work. And then the Pharisees, contrast, God's work's always faithful. But then you have the Pharisees. They were religious. They were always around church, but they were missing something. They're missing this. So in Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus is speaking this to them. You tithe mint and dill and cumin. You're doing these religious activities, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. What were they? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You ain't doing none of that. You don't have this fruit. That's a problem. So you had God. You have the Pharisees. Then you have the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were commended for this quality. In 2 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. About what? About your steadfastness of faith. It's to be boasted in that these people believe the Lord, all their persecutions, all their afflictions, they just kept right on enduring. And then this word that men who think they're men don't like, this word gentleness. In our society, everybody wants to be big and tough and tell everybody off and it makes them feel better. Why don't you try being gentle? It's a lot more difficult of a task. And you'll need the Spirit of God to help you. Another way you can translate this word gentleness is meekness. Meekness. It's the quality of, listen to the definition whether you like it or not. It's the quality of not being, of not being overly impressed by your own self-importance. Gentle, humility, courtesy, considerateness, meekness in the older, favorable sense, like this. In Colossians, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.1, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's where we learn meekness from. Then you see in Titus 3.2, Christians are to be this way. Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, and be gentle. And then you see in Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The Spirit of God is able to produce power under control, unconcerned with personal credit, humility, and the type of person whom People love to be around. Do you know anybody like that? Always use the same example, but shoot me. I don't know. As we're talking about gentleness, I ask you to shoot me. But I liked very much to sit down in the living room, or anywhere for that matter, with my grandmother. Because she was gentle. And she was a pleasure to be around. 
I love that. It's a hard quality to find. But if you live to be 102 as a Christian, I think this will be produced in you because it's what the Spirit does. And I pray for each one of you that when you're old and gray-haired and you only have dentures left, that you will be calm and sweet as Miss Sharon. Right? There'll be a sense of gentleness about you and you won't seek any recognition. You just serve because you love God and you love people. The Spirit does that. And then thirdly, this self-control. You may not see this one coming. I did not. I was not familiar with this Greek word. But it has to do, this self-control has to do with abstinence and fasting. Which means what? The restraint of one's emotions. The restraint of one's impulses or desires. The ability to not allow anything to control my life. Newsflash, hang on, going to lose half of you or more. That even coffee does not dictate your life. No more than food, no more than hobby, no more than anything else that you're able to control yourself and say no to this and no to this and no to that. And you don't have to be run by something else. And this is interesting. You're going to preach a sermon. Who preaches self-control in a gospel sermon. Paul does. In Acts 24-25, he's before Felix and Drusilla, and he reasons with them about self-control. The Bible verse says, as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. He used that as a means of gospel presentation. And then Peter tells us we are to supply our faith with self-control in that long list he has. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and the list goes on. The Spirit works in us in such a way, are you ready? That we're not swayed by emotions. Do you know how many religious groups get caught up in emotion? Note, Those ones that get most caught up in motion are the ones who are claiming they have the Spirit. And it's the Spirit who's contrary to being caught up in the emotion. Strap that on your charismatic pipe and smoke it. Not swayed by emotions. Blessed freedom, not controlled by appetite, not addicted to vices. Not led by the heat of the moment. This is what the Spirit produces in the Christian. Towards God, towards others, and in my personal life. And without the Spirit, these things can never be produced in you. And he says, what a blessed verse. He ends and he says, oh, by the way, these nine things I've given you, there's no law. There's no prohibition. There's nothing stopping. He says, Zero prohibition for these fruits. You can produce all nine of these as much as you want. It's kind of like water. Well, the reason I drink water, I mean, it's okay to drink water because nobody explains why they drink water. Nobody justifies drinking water. I'll take another drink. I'm not going to explain why. I'm just thirsty. But... We explain other things that are vices. But these, you don't have to give justification for any of these. You can love God all you want. 
You, you can be as gentle as you can be. You can serve others as much as you want. You can keep yourself under control all the time, and we'll be much happier with you. Amen? It's free. So you say, what do I do with that? Ask the Holy Spirit to increase fruit production in your life. Set your heart to be a fruit bearer for the glory of God. And here's an exam or a, a, a challenge for you. I don't know if anybody in the room will do it, but it's a short challenge. It requires effort. Examine your life. Take a long look in your own heart and write down the fruit that you produce. If it ends up in the first list, you need to work through some repentance. If it ends up in the second list, these nine we're looking at tonight, ask the Spirit to produce it even more. And if out of those nine you only see two clear evidences, tell the, ask the Holy Spirit to help you with the other seven that you're not seeing. Holy Spirit, this is what you produce. I need some production in my life in the area of self-control. Pray that. Write it down. Examine And then lastly tonight, pruned, chapter 5, verse 24, this is the last point, but those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and pleasures. Well, I can do a lot here, but I'm going to do something fairly short where we can partake of communion. Let me give you the word crucified. We know the word. We understand there's a cross back here. We preached the cross this morning. The particular verb tense here has to do with destroying something to the connection with the crucifixion of Christ. Crucify. Crucify the flesh. Destroy its power. The problem that we have is back here in this past event, we have crucified our flesh. Right? That's what the text says. Those who are in Christ Jesus, they have crucified Take a picture. Back here in 1962, I came to know Christ, and I crucified my flesh. Amen? This makes sense? Now here I am 20 years later, and I'm still having problems with my flesh. I thought I crucified it over there. Why am I still having some issues with the flesh? Crucified doesn't mean dead. Crucified means nailed to a tree. Crucified means pain and agony and suffering. That's what crucified means. When you lay down on a tree and the nails go through and the nails go through your feet and the spear goes through your side and these thorns on your head and you're placarded against this cross, this is suffering. That's right. We nailed our flesh to the cross. We died to self. And it's a painful, agonizing process we're going through as this flesh is still fighting and the spirit is fighting against the flesh. But we know this. The end of crucifixion is death. And the flesh will finally and ultimately die. The spirit will always win There is no yin-yang, a black and white in the same circle in equal balance. The Spirit of God reigns over the flesh. And this battle and this pain you go through, separating from the flesh, dying to the flesh, this will continue until you stand with Jesus face to face. But take hope because you will make it to the end. He's not going to lose a one of you.
What a glorious thought. So tonight as we receive communion, I ask you to reflect on the crucifixion of Christ. Now, I'm going to say some phrases here. I haven't left the sermon. I want you to see this tie back to the things I just said, and then we'll begin communion in just a moment. Meditate upon what he went through in order to destroy the works of the flesh. Think about Christ tonight. Meditate upon the reality of his love, his joy, and his peace with God. Meditate on the demonstration of his patience towards you, his kindness towards you, and his goodness to all of humanity. Meditate upon the faithfulness of his work, the meekness of his character, and ask the Holy Spirit to make you more like him. All right, let us.